0: Daily with Jason Mertidis. And welcome to your Friday, May 15th edition of Flyers Daily with Jason Martinez. Player profiles are going to continue in this episode, and we'll talk to a guy who, uh, when training camp started, I'm not sure that uh, even uh, a lot of Flyer fans knew who he was. And he actually alludes to it in our conversation that uh, he didn't even know the Flyers were going over to uh, the Czech Republic to start their season where he started his season as well. Uh, so we'll talk to uh, Flyers forward Connor Bunneman on this episode so stay tuned that's coming up but a lot of news and notes to get to and first and foremost we've got to start with birthday wishes to the Flyers head coach Elaine Vigneault. He was born on uh, May 14th 1961 so technically when you're hearing this yesterday uh, was his birthday his 59th birthday for Elaine Vigneault and he's been coaching now a long time so birthday wishes to the bench boss and uh, hopefully Elaine Vigneault uh, gets back here soon enough and gets the game back on the ice. We're going to talk about that first and foremost, and then we're going to kind of relive uh, for a couple of moments uh, what the 10-year anniversary was yesterday when the Flyers defeated the Bruins in Game 7 of the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs and that improbable comeback from 0-3 in the series and then 3-0 in Game 7. So we'll get to that in a moment. But Gary Bettman this week uh, speaking out once again, and I've lauded the NHL for being very transparent in their, A, desire to come back, and B, Uh, Kind of keeping fans in the loop through reporting and through availability. And Gary Bettman uh, made himself available this past week and had a couple things that I thought were really interesting to say. Uh, He went on to say, first of all, about the season resuming and the return to play committee. Actually met on Tuesday, one day ahead of schedule. They were supposed to meet Wednesday. They ended up meeting Tuesday. Uh, including James Van Riemsdyk on that return-to-play committee, and then they ended up meeting on Wednesday again. So uh, they're trying to work into what they're calling Phase 2 of the return-to-play, and uh, that's probably developing some sort of timeline. But Gary Bettman had this to say. He said, I believe if the right time comes and the right circumstances, based on all the options that we're considering and our ability to execute them, we'll get this season done. He said, I don't want to sound Pollyanna, but canceling is too easy of a solution. That means you stop working hard, to do all the things that we're doing, and I ultimately believe that there will be an opportunity. He also went on to say states are reopening, cities are reopening, and if we do the right things, I think we'll be able to finish this season. And he concluded with, we would like to bring a conclusion to this season. It's got to be fair, it's got to have integrity, and we have to do it over the summer on some modified basis, then we'll do it on that basis. So, Uh, we got some new news uh, in regards to, obviously, the desire. I don't know that that's new news, but we're also hearing now this 2014 playoff field. We've been talking about it a couple of weeks. And about the play-in round, and um, based on what the rumors are of how that would work, and we don't know this definitively, and we're assuming that this play-in round would be a best-of-three situation, uh, there has been a bracket that has circulated. I tweeted it out as well on my Twitter handle, at Jason Mert, and it basically breaks down like this. There's a play-in round in each quadrant of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So if you look in in the top left quadrant, I'll call it, where Calgary and Winnipeg and St. Louis, Dallas... Edmonton and Chicago, that's the Central, Edmonton and uh, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks would be in a play-in situation to then earn the right to get into the field of 16 and take on the Dallas Stars. In the bottom left bracket, uh, the Pacific, the teams that are in the play-in situation there are the Vancouver Canucks and the Phoenix Coyotes, and they would earn the right to come in and play against the Vegas Golden Knights. There is a play in between Nashville and Minnesota for the right to play the Colorado Avalanche. Now, in the top right bracket, which would be the Metropolitan Division or kind of the Eastern Conference, it's kind of mixed up, so it's, it doesn't really go by division, uh, but there will be a play-in situation between the Islanders and Columbus for the right to take on the Boston Bruins. And then there's a play-in situation for uh, the Montreal Canadiens and the Pittsburgh Penguins to take on the Flyers. We'll get back to that in a second. In the other bracket, it would be the uh, Rangers and the Maple Leafs battling to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning in the field of 16. And then uh, the Florida Panthers and Carolina Hurricanes would battle to take on the Washington Capitals. So... Uh, there's an odd number of teams, and it's just the way it works out here. And Well, not an odd number of teams. There's 24 teams uh, trying to battle in to get into the field of 16, where there would be four best-of-seven rounds to win the Stanley Cup. And and one thing that some people have brought up on Twitter when I tweeted out was that those teams uh, that are playing in that, play-in situation in that best of three will have an advantage because they'll have a couple games under their belt, they'll have a chance to get their legs under them. And while I agree with that in, in one sense, it is mitigated. Like somebody said to me on Twitter that um, while they're going to have an advantage, I could see one of those teams winning the cup, like either Montreal or uh, you know a team in a play-in situation, Chicago or the Rangers. Yeah, maybe, but that's just because it's hockey and any team in a playoff that gets hot, gets good goaltending, is healthy and playing really well can win the cup. That's the sport. But it's not because they played a best of 3 play-in situation. Because you still have to in the field of 16, you have to win or you have to win 16 games to win the cup. That may help you in game 1 and game 2 in round 1, but that's not going to propel you all the way to a cup final if you're facing some really good teams. And that's not going to be the reason why you win. Um, as far as the other element of this too, and I know a lot of people uh, are upset that there's a field of 24 in the first place. Now there's a couple reasons for this. A not all the teams in the Stanley cup playoffs have played the same amount of games. So you can't just go by points. Cause that's unfair. Teams that there's some teams that have played 68 games or some teams that have played 72 games. So you can't go by points just because a team had more games before the pause. They should not get rewarded. Now you could go off points percentage, uh, but given the situation and the fact that they're not going to finish the regular season, and I get why it doesn't make sense to make teams like Ottawa, Detroit, the teams in California that are so far out of it, make them come back have to eat up all the testing, keep them safe. It's the, the less teams you have to keep around for a longer period of time, the easier it gets to control the environment. So if you bring all 31 back, it's more difficult. Not only that, but are these teams like Detroit, who's got no shot, are they really coming back with any gusto to play the game? No, they're not. So there's a competitive issue there or a competition issue there as well. And so the NHL is going to probably opt to just go right to this 2014 playoff field and go from there. Now, the 2014 playoff field, it also accomplishes another goal. And whether you like it or not, that's your choice. But whether you like it or not, uh, the NHL is a business and they are trying to recoup or recapture, if you will, as much lost revenue as they can. So by having these play-in situations, which will be, Highly intriguing, and they're in some really big and important hockey markets like Montreal, like Chicago. That's a chance to recapture some money. And the NHL, right now, if they didn't play another game, they'd lose $1.2 to $1.3 billion. And they're going to play without fans, which is about 40% of their revenue. So that's going to be a big part of the equation to recapture a little bit of money as well. It is a business. We, we consume it as a sport, but we understand it is a business, and they, they need to recoup that revenue uh, for the league uh, to, to go forward in a healthy way and not have this pause season hurt for many years to come. They're trying to mitigate that damage. Now, as far as not playing in front of fans, and I, I just, I, for the life of me, I, I don't get it. Um, There's a lot of people that say, well, if you can't play in front of fans, that's the great part about playoff hockey is the fans are crazy and the atmosphere is not. I agree. And in a perfect world, none of this would have happened. But it's not a perfect world right now. It's a really bizarre, unfortunate world right now. And when these things happen, you have to do something a little different. You have to expand your playoff field. You You didn't get to finish your regular season, so you have to do things differently. And you can't have fans in the building. But to me... And you can, you can hit me up on Twitter at Jason. My DMs are open. You can email me as well, uh, jason.murtitas at gmail.com, if you agree or disagree. But to me, I, I would love to have fans in the building, and I, the atmosphere, I get it. But it's not about the fans in the building, it's about the game, the product. I want to watch it. So I don't understand the mentality that I'm seeing way too much of, in my opinion. From hockey fans that say, well, if they can't have fans in the building, I don't even want them to come back. To me, that's just—I I can't relate to that. Okay, we can't have fans in the building. That sucks. But now we're going to take the game away, too, and I want you to take it away from me. I, I want to not be able to watch it on television. And then the other part of it is—and some people say, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, this this couple have an asterisk. I say BS. This will not have an asterisk. This couple will be none into its own. It'll be known as— the COVID Cup. And it'll be, a it, look, it's a unique situation that we've never seen before in our lifetimes. And the, the deal is this. No asterisk for me. It, it's going to be known as the 2020 COVID Cup, a year of unparalleled circumstance. And since every team that is going to get into this 24-team field or in this playoff, whatever it ends up being, is in the same exact circumstance, doesn't get an asterisk. It's, it's different. And you were going to call it the COVID Cup, the year of the coronavirus cup, whatever. But it doesn't get an asterisk, in my opinion. Just like a team that won the cup on a 48-game season didn't get an asterisk, doesn't, it? to me, if every team is under the same circumstance, there is no asterisk. All right. um, Real quick, too. uh, Last night, May 14th, a decade ago, uh, was one of those absolutely emotion-swing-filled games of your lifetime. When the Flyers came back from being down three nothing against the Boston Bruins to win Game Seven, now we all know the story. They lost Game One, Two, and Three. They lost Game One five to four in overtime on the road. They lost Game Two three to two. Two close games. They could uh, one bounce either way, and they wouldn't have been in that situation in the first place. Game Three, they come back home, and they got beat four to one in that game. Backs against the wall, down 0-3 in the series. Game Four. Is that five-four uh, overtime win to keep the season alive, and that was—I uh, mean, what, what a game that was! Unbelievable, if I recall, was that Simone Gagne got the overtime winner in that game. And isn't that fitting that Simone Gagne at fourteen forty of the overtime keeps the Flyers alive in that game? So they win Game Four, five-four, three games to one. Then they uh, go back to Boston and they win that game four to nothing. And now all of a sudden, Boston's got to come back to Philly. All the pressure in the world is sitting right on their lap, and the Flyers win Game Six, two to one. So Game Seven, boom, uh, the Bruins go up early in the game, three to nothing. They were all over the Flyers early in the in the game, and the Flyers had no answers. The building at the TD Garden was going absolutely crazy. Michael Ryder scored 5.27 in Milan Lucic, then scored at 9:02 into the first period, then also at 14:10, and boom, Bruins up three to nothing. Peter Laviolette calls the timeout. 5.50 to go in the first period. Then at 17-12 of the first period, James Van Riemsdyk from Claude Drew, rather ugly goal. I mean, it had no business going in. It was the first playoff goal of James Van Riemsdyk's career. It just threw the puck at the net and kind of redirected and dribbled through the legs of Tuka Rask. And the Flyers go into the break, uh, down 3-1. to one. Then in the second period, they absolutely dominated the game. Scott Hartnell picked up the goal, his second of the playoffs from Leno and Briere at 249. Then Danny Briere on a wraparound, his seventh of the playoffs from Scott Hartnell. That line was fantastic, by the way, that entire playoff run. Danny Briere in that playoff run, 12 goals, 18 assists, 30 points in 22 games. Not bad. Uh, so the Flyers go to the third period, tied at three. They end up with a power play for too many men on the ice. And the top power play unit unable to get anything done. Second power play unit goes out and Simone Gagné 12:15 or 12:52 of the third period gets his fourth goal of the playoffs just a like a rebound if you will right in front and he just gathered it and went boom wrote high blocker right over uh, Tuka Rask. Richards and Leno with the assist Flyers take the 4-3 lead then hang on later in that period as they're trying to kill the clock Claude Drew out battles three Bruins down low behind the net for what seemed like about 40 seconds, unbelievable shift by Giroux before the shift a couple years later against the Penguins. And uh, the Flyers skate away with that win, 4-3 to over the Boston Bruins, and the improbable comeback was made and eventually uh, go up and they take on the Montreal Canadiens, beat them in five, and then lose in overtime in six games to the Chicago Blackhawks in the Stanley Cup final. Only two Flyers that were on that team are on the team now. Uh, Claude Giroux, obviously one of them. Uh, He was in in that game and had an assist in that one. And the only other player was James Van Riemsdyk. Now, of course, he left for a while and is now back with the Flyers. Had a goal in the game, the opening goal for the Flyers. And JVR, that was his rookie year and were and wearing number 21 at the time, not number 25 upon his return. So, uh, great memories. Great to rewatch that and remembering just how emotion, the the swings of emotion, were in that game. And uh, as you watch the broadcast too and They would cut away after the Flyers scored every goal to the Wells Fargo Center, which was full as the fans were in there watching it on the Arena Vision and just going absolutely bananas as the Flyers mounted the comeback and uh, took the series from the Boston Bruins. All right, player profiles continue right now. Connor Bunneman. Was a surprise for the Flyers this year. Played really well. Was sent back down to the Phantoms later in the season when the Flyers made a couple of deals at the deadline, acquiring Nate Thompson and Derek Grant. The coaching staff said at the time, and Chuck Fletcher, when I talked to him uh, at that time, said it as well. It has nothing to do with Connor Bunneman. We just wanted to get a little more experience for the playoffs in here. Connor's a young player and uh, certainly a, a good first year for him as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. And here's my conversation with Connor Bunneman on Flyers Daily. And on the line with us uh, on this episode is Connor Bunnerman. Connor, how you making out? How you getting through the uh, pandemic?
1: Um, I'm doing well. Um, just trying to stay busy. Um, playing video games. Um, going on walks with my mom. Uh, um, doing puzzles. Just doing anything, basically.
0: Yeah, dude, I wanted to do
1: puzzles. Uh, I went to,
0: like, the Target, and they were all gone. I think everybody's doing puzzles. That's so old oh, school.
1: Every- oh, yeah, everybody I know is doing puzzles right now. You got like a five thousand piece one, or uh, me and my mom just finished uh, fifteen hundred. and oh, that was pretty nice. hard. <laughs> so I don't, I don't know if we can do five thousand. That's uh, pretty advanced. Yeah, that, that's
0: good to like train your brain, though, too. You know, like concentration grids and doing puzzles is like that, that's good work on the brain.
1: Oh yeah, I always staying sharp.
0: Yeah, you got to. Um, where, where are you uh, sheltering in place at? Uh, I'm back home in uh,
1: Guelph, Ontario.
0: And how's it been up there?
1: Uh, it's been good. Uh, snowed yesterday, so uh, that sucked. Um, we only had basically uh, one day. It was like 20 degrees. Um, got really burnt that day. And then uh, every every other day after that, it's just been cold and uh, raining and windy. So uh, hopefully in the next few weeks, it uh, starts to uh, brighten up.
0: So people don't think you're an Eskimo. Twenty degrees uh, Celsius, not uh, Fahrenheit. It's just metric system. <laughs> yeah, people. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> people going twenty <"20
0: laughs> degrees. You got burnt. What the hell was? Where was he at? Um, <laughs> uh, so up there, and you know, you've been up in Canada. When did you decide to head back up, uh, up home, and, and and kind of wait it out up there?
1: Um, so I was up at the time. We were in Tampa with Flyers, and um, the day of the game. We uh, were all having breakfast and then they decided to to spend the season and then we all got home and then we kind of waited around for a week and a bit, I think, and then they gave us the go-ahead to go home and just quarantine. So the day after, I packed up and uh, came home.
0: Uh, so you're up, up in Canada. Has Have you been kind of following the news as it's happening uh, or do you find it a little too overwhelming and you just kind of want to... You know, be cognizant of what's going on, but you, you don't need to follow it nonstop.
1: Uh, yeah, I have a, I have an eye on it. I'm not, uh, re- like, don't have a hawk's eye on it, I guess. Um, I know what's going on, but there's a lot of different things being said, and um, I'm not really sure what's going to happen. Um, I've, I've heard some good things that we're moving. We're flattening the curve, and then out uh, other days, they're just, just going straight up. So I, I don't know right now. It's just uh, kind of up in the air.
0: Yeah, it'll drive you crazy. You think you're getting on the right side of this thing, and then all of a sudden they tell you you're not, and you go, who do I believe? What's going on? And we just want to play hockey at this point. Um, so for, for you, you, know, you got in 21 games this year, and like you said, you were with the Flyers on that day on, on March 12th. You're getting ready to take on the Tampa Bay Lightning that night. To have the, the rug just pulled out from under a season, when you're, you know, when you're in a season, you're going 100 miles an hour. It's very rigid for you guys, practice games, you know, meals, the whole thing. To have that all of a sudden, have that rug pulled out, what's that like for you to just all of a sudden hit stop?
1: Yeah, it sucked, uh, especially for me. Um, my second year and getting uh, a little step in the league, um, having 20 games and uh, getting called up and potentially having uh, more, maybe even the rest of the year, depending on the injuries, um, really sucked. Um, uh, especially for an experience standpoint. Um, for me, being young, I just want to get as much as ga- much game as game as possible and just um learning from the guys uh all the older guys like easy and and g and those guys um yeah for me it, it sucked and uh yeah i guess staying at home doing nothing all day is uh is uh, really tearing on me and i wish we were out there
0: yeah you're a competitor and you don't get to the level that you're at without being a competitor uh in your first year in the ahl uh, you, you played four years in kitchener for the rangers you had some real good season playing in, in kitchener in the ohl and then your first pro season uh the 18-19 season with lehigh valley in uh 62 games you end up with 32 points uh, what was that jump like for you going from the ohl and playing for kitchener uh to playing uh, professional hockey with men and it's a whole different ball game
1: oh yeah for sure um my first year the first uh little bit I was getting healthy scratched a lot um not playing very much on the fourth line um kind of just making my way in trying to just learn the pro lifestyle and everything around it and then um a few guys got called up and uh, I got in the lineup and then I started to score I started to get more confident with the puck and uh just knowing the situation the different situations in pro than junior and I just got a feel for it and um just, uh, just worked all year, I guess, and um, I was fortunate enough to get a bunch of points. Um, that was good for me. Uh, a lot of good linemates, and everybody on the team just helped me a lot, all the older guys. Um, Phil Veroni helped me a lot when he was uh, down, but yeah, it was a good season, and uh, yeah. What was the
0: biggest biggest difference in the jump for you, uh, going from the OHL to playing pro? Was it just the, the lack of time and space, the size and strength of guys? What was it for you?
1: A um, little bit of everything, I guess. Um, just in junior, you kind of float around and then kind of uh, do what you want to do. Because um, uh, when you're like one of the one of the top guys on the team, the coach won't really yell at you that much. Um, but when you're in pro, you got you got to know where you're going. You got to know the systems. You got to. Especially work 100 every every day, every practice, and uh, they're on you like it's your job. There's guy, this is guys' livelihood. They have families, um, so they they're not afraid to take your spot, kind of thing. So just for me, just uh, knowing all the systems, getting everything down, so uh, I don't mess up and I uh, stay in the lineup. What's
0: been, Scott Gordon been like for
1: you? He's been good. Um, it's really tough on me, um, but uh, it's it's really good for me and. Um, how how i play and get through day to day um just um yeah he's getting tough on me I uh, just lost my train of thought there <laughs> uh, one of too those, many puzzles yeah, uh, man <laughs> yeah i know no but he's been really good um practices we have a bunch of tough practices making everybody make sure He's, uh, we're ready for the game each and every time, bunch of video. Um, he's, he's, uh, really committed to our team and we know that. And, um, yeah, just, I like him.
0: Play, playing in the AHL and the NHL where you had 21 games this year, we're going to get to your first one in a minute. Um, it's all about the details, isn't it? The little things, because if you don't execute those little things, you'll find yourself in the press box or back down real quick. Won't you?
1: Oh yeah. I remember uh, a game in, uh, Vancouver. Uh, We had a shift in the D zone for like a minute, and then I iced it. And they uh, right off the draw, they scored, and I'm like, "Uh oh!" So I just sat on the bench the rest of the game, (laughs) uh, and I learned my lesson real quick. Uh, You just got to make every play and um, make sure it's the right one, or you're sitting.
0: Yeah, get that red line before you dump it in. It's it's like those little things; they just mean so much in the game. Because, like you said, you, you end up icing the puck, you're out there on tired legs, you can't change, and then, boom, you're pulling it out of the back of your net. It's you – just can't – you can't make any mistakes in that league.
1: Not yeah, so. it's tough, for sure. Yeah, it's crazy.
0: What was it like for you uh, making the team out of camp, playing uh, that first – your first NHL game in the Czech Republic uh, to start off the season against Chicago?
1: That experience was just unreal. Um, going into camp, I didn't even – I didn't even know we were going to Prague until halfway through. Um, <laughs> But uh, going through camp, uh, I obviously had a good camp. Um, di- didn't really expect anything from it. I just kind of wanted to try my best and do whatever I can to uh, impress the coaches and uh, thinking maybe, I'll oh, have a good second, second year in the A and maybe get a few games. Um, never thought I would just make it out of camp. Um, that was a really big accomplishment of mine, and uh, especially in Prague playing my first game. Um, it was just unreal. Um, playing Chicago, one of my one of my teams, I always looked up to uh, when I was uh, growing up, and uh, Jonathan Taves. So seeing those guys uh, out there, I'm on the same ice as them. It's just kind of surreal and crazy. Yeah, you didn't know you were
0: going to Prague until halfway through camp because they didn't have you going to Prague. But you're right, you had a great camp. You opened up a lot of eyes. Um, it, Connor, when you when you look at the the season and, and the 21 games that you got. Um, and and I know Chuck made a couple of deals at the deadline and that sent you back down. What what did they tell you when they sent you back down? Because it wasn't performance related. I think they just wanted a little more experience, didn't
1: they? Yeah. Um, obviously the team's very good. Um, I think they just wanted a little more depth, a little more uh, experience, um, on that fourth line there to, uh, push them forward. And, uh, it's a business. I understand. I understand the the reason why they sent me down, but, um, that it wasn't really performance-wise. There's more of uh, a need of them uh, needing the fourth-line guys and more experience, um, which uh, gave me a little, a little confidence booster, knowing that um, it wasn't really my fault. I was playing well, and they liked what they see, they like what they saw. Um, so that's uh, that was good, uh, and it made me get called back up again. So um, yeah, so that whole thing uh, was a little disappointed, but um, it was a step in the right direction, I guess.
0: Um, let's. you're a relentless four-checker. Um, effort's one of those things that you can control night in and night out. Uh, when did that realization come to you that in that league, you got to bust it all night? If you're going to four-check in that league, you're going to have to really be on it.
1: Oh, yeah, especially for uh, for me, the fourth-line guy. Um, I know I'm not going to be playing 20 minutes a night, so uh, the or hopefully maybe 10 minutes I get, uh, it's not much, but you got to go out full, full blast. Um, I knew my job out there, get the pucks in deep, wear down their D, so uh, all the big guys can score. Um, I think I did that pretty well uh, with my line mates. Um, Raph, I was on with a bunch, and uh, Q, uh, we, we, when we got down behind their D, we were, we were unstoppable. And, um, yeah, effort is a big, big part of it. They um, got a lot of big, skilled guys um, playing, playing against you, some of the best in the world. So, yeah.
0: First goal in the NHL comes in your fifth game. It's January 13th against the Boston Bruins, no less. Uh, not too not too shabby of an opponent on a lot of levels. They were the best team in the league at the time. They still are with the best record. What's that moment like when you net a goal? I think it was against Yarrow Halak, if I recall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Was my ideal goal, uh, first NHL goal, obviously. Uh, hit off their D, hit off my foot, and went in. <laughs> um, but yeah, but uh, I'll take it. I'm not complaining. Not many people can say they scored a an NHL goal, um, but it was just it was crazy. Um, Frito, Q, I think Joel was on too. So all the guys, that, young guys I knew and guys I played with in uh, Lehigh were there celebrating too, which is a great experience. Um, and uh, Frito got his first uh, NHL assist too, so that's a double there. Oh, there yeah, it was just it was fun, and yeah, it was it was awesome.
0: What's that camaraderie like with the other uh, the other young guys that you're coming up with right now? Because we know that this Flyers prospect pool has been talked about a ton, uh, the drafting and developing of players over the last couple of years. You were taken in the fourth round uh, back in 2016, 109th overall. Uh, what's that camaraderie like with uh, the young core that's? getting to the NHL and uh, on the way to the NHL? It's great.
1: Um, There's a really lot of tight guys. Everybody likes each other. Everybody's a great guy. Uh, everybody knows like, we're all fighting for the same spot. Um, but at the same time, off the ice, we're, we're all hanging out, telling jokes, goofing around. Um, it's a really good core group of guys. Um, and I, I'm excited to see what we can all do and uh, how we all uh, pan out. Who's the guy that you watched growing
0: up that – it really influenced your style of play and your game and I, I know that style of play and, and and your game changes over the years and you know in junior you were scoring a ton of goals 37 one year uh but, but who's the guy that you watched growing up there you go man I, I like the way that guy plays and I want to emulate a lot of his characteristics
1: um when I was growing up um mostly Jonathan Taves because um, I wore number 19 he wore number 19 <laughs> that was the uh, kind of the first trigger but uh Obviously, he's a world class player, um, great leader just on the ice, how he cares himself, how he never stops working. Um, just, yeah, and then the Kitch, the, um, my GM always told me to try to go uh, play like Kaloran, a uh, big guy, just goes to the net, battles hard, gets all those greasy goals. So, those are the probably the top two guys,
0: yeah, certainly good ones as well. Um, let me ask you because when you played in Kitchener, I know that, uh, Matthew Barnaby uh, was an assistant coach there. What was Barnaby like as a coach? Because he was a, yeah, he was a great coach. To
1: Philly as a player. <laughs> yeah, he was a he's a great coach. Uh, one of the just kind of a player's coach. Um, he he he, uh, he knows what everybody's going through. He's been through it. Um, he knows the game really well. Um, talked to us a lot on the bench, off ice. Uh, everybody connected really well with him, so everybody respected him. Uh, a lot and uh when he spoke every everybody listened
0: yeah well he certainly played a lot of games and boy he uh, got under a lot of opponent's skin uh, for many many years and made his uh, craft that way um connor you watching anything uh did did you find the end of netflix did you watch tiger king or money heist or anything like that anything you can recommend for the people listening
1: um i watched tiger king um it was pretty good it really interesting um uh, just kind of wild how that all whole thing came down i wasn't i'm not going to spoil anything for anybody um right now uh i'm getting to a show called the 100 um it's kind of older i was watching it in kitsch and then uh it's kind of faded um but i'm trying to get back into it right now so uh, it's where like 100 uh, kids go down to earth when there's a nuclear war kind of thing and they're just trying to survive um was uh, kind of a cool concept um but yeah, right now it's just kind of it's what I'm Netflix? diving into. Yeah, it's on Netflix called The oh, One Hundred.
0: All right, that's seven seasons too, man. That's a lot. Of, that's
1: a lot of material.
0: Good that's stuff. a lot, and it's like a 15-minute episode too. So it's a lot. Oh, that's great. That's what you need when you're uh, under quarantine. Uh, what have you been doing to stay in shape?
1: How's that process been going for you? Ah, uh, good. Uh, I got uh two two sets of bikes in my basement and uh, a, bu- a bunch of weights. Um, doing what I can to stay in shape. Um, working out a lot because there's nothing really else to do. Um, trying to rollerblade uh when I can because the weather is not very good to get around here lately. Um, so whenever I can, I go out, try to rollerblade, roller uh, shoot some pucks too. So that's uh, basically it. Uh,
0: rollerblading, when you get back on skates, is there a huge difference in the way that feels for you? Are you what, what rollerblades you wear Mars blades or um, or just regular rollerblades? Uh,
1: great regular, regular bauer ones yeah um my uh my skates are my feet actually are kind of messed up not a bunch of surgery on them so um yeah when i get on the ice it's, it's a lot different
0: yeah it's like you're in a rocking chair as opposed to being on something flat all of a sudden it's pretty weird
1: yeah exactly
0: um but yeah you definitely need to get that skate stride in um when's the last time you played where there really wasn't any fans in the stands did you play in the quebec Wee tournament
1: no i didn't play in that uh i wish you did um Last time, well, kind of in the old one, we were in like Sudbury or something like that. And There's not <laughs> many fans. Um, other than that, it would probably just be in Midget before Ooh. the OHL.
0: Yeah, and then even then you have a bunch of parents in the stands and maybe even some scouts for, for high-level players. What's it going to be like playing an NHL game if you guys do get back and you get out there and, and you're playing in an empty building?
1: Yeah, it's definitely, definitely going to be way different. Um, I don't even know what to expect. Um for me, just dreaming of uh going through the tunnels, seeing all the fans, high fiving is just one of the one of the many experiences that you that you love. Um whenever you score, I love fans and uh just cheering and whenever someone gets a big hit or something like that, it's just it's gonna be a lot different. And it's gonna be something everybody's gotta adapt to.
0: And you can feed off that on the road too, can't you? Like us against the world Oh,
1: oh exactly.
0: Well, it'll be, it will be weird. Um, one thing that would be pretty certain if they don't have a DJ in there playing, which they may actually do, uh, would be we'd hear a lot of chatter. Will we hear a lot of chatter out of you on the ice?
1: You a talker? Uh, <laughs> I'm not that big of a talker. Um, I'm just kind of more leave it on the ice. I'm uh, a scoreboard kind of guy. Um, I do some chirping here and there, but uh, not much.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you got a couple of really good chirpers on your team. And TK and, and and Hazy, so don't worry. They're picking up the slack for you if you're not much of a talker.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Loss is up there, too. He's a good chirper. Oh, he's a riot, isn't
0: he? Yeah, he's a good one. Oh, yeah. No doubt. Uh, real quick, too, last question for you. Um, what's that chemistry like with the Flyers? You were up, up for 21 games. You were with the team when the pause happened. Uh, you're around these guys a lot, and you got a good veteran core, a good young core, some guys in between. Uh, everybody knows their role. You got depth. You guys are rolling four lines, getting depth scoring. Those are all the, you know, hallmarks of a team that can do a lot of damage in the playoffs. You guys, a felt really confident. But what's been what's it been like off the ice with the whole group?
1: Uh, it's been great um, on the road. Um, guys like Casey and uh, TK, Sanny, they're all they're inviting me to dinner. Um, off like even at practice days. Or they're inviting me out for dinner or something like that. The like same thing. Uh, just texting me. Just little things like that. Um, just really help a lot. And uh, at the rink, um, guys, are, if I'm sitting by myself or something, someone will come up to me and start talking to me. How's my day going? Uh, just little things just uh, go really far. Um, but everybody's a great guy. Great guys. Um, and just incredible teammates. Guys, you want to go to war with? Uh,
0: I lied. Here's the last yeah. question. Alain Vigneault, um, we know the pedigree coach that he is. He's been to two Stanley Cup finals back in 2011 with Vancouver, got to a game seven against Boston, uh, also got to a final in 2015 with the New York Rangers. Um, what's it like playing for AV? Also, Michelle and Mike Yo, Lappy, and the whole coaching staff. you got a really experienced staff.
1: Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, pre-game meetings, just, just watching those guys. Uh, teach you everything. Uh, you just, you got to make sure you listen. Um, <laughs> uh, Lappy uh, before every game goes over video with me of the the game before some that uh, I should look for during, uh, before the, before the game. Uh, he's been really good with me with that. Um, uh, everybody else they just, every time I, they see something in my game, uh, they always make sure they're, they're correcting me on it. Or if I need to do something better, they're going to do something. They're going to help me with that. Um, from Slack, and they're going to yell at me for sure. Um, that's just, that's a good part. But they're all just world class guys and world class coaches.
0: Yeah. The one thing I always hear about Elaine uh, Vino from all the players, and I have pretty much since the pause talked to every guy on the team since the pause on this very podcast. They all say that Elaine runs a great bench.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. For, yeah like I that game feel. Time. Yeah. One time um, someone blocked a shot and no one, no one like uh, tapped or ticked or yelled on the bench. And he came in, came in the dressing room, and just just ripped us because no one was getting hyped up on the bench for a block shot. He just he loved that team atmosphere on the bench and everybody cheering cheering each other on. It's uh, and it, it's it shows on the ice how everybody works together and uh, it works. So yeah. I, I liked it and uh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, those are the sacrifices you need. Uh, from guys to win, and, and everybody's got to be pulling on the rope in the same direction. Hey, Connor, man, I hope that uh, you know you get back up here and you guys get back on the ice. You can culminate this season, whether it's a 2014 playoff field or whatever it might be. Hopefully things calm down enough with the pandemic. You guys get back on the ice, and I know they're going to expand these rosters, it looks like, too. Going into the playoffs, you're going to be a part of it. And uh, probably a big part of it. You're going to be playing, too. I mean, you're, you're a big contributor to this team this year. You opened up a lot of people's eyes. You were a lot of fun to watch. So, in the meantime, man, stay healthy. And uh, hopefully you get back here soon and get back on the ice.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks to Connor Butterman for joining us here on Flyers Daily. As uh, player profiles continue coming up on Monday, we'll uh, have a conversation with Flyers defenseman Mark Friedman as well. All right, that's going to do it for Flyers Daily. Everybody have a great weekend. Stay healthy, and we'll talk to you Monday. On the next episode of Flyers Dale.